Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Shalom, shalom, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I am your host, Joe Amon, pastor at Out of Ashes Ministries, coming to you all the way from southwest Louisiana. And it is great to be here with you all today. Hey, if it's your first time listening, then welcome. Uh, so thankful to Hebrew Nation for allowing us this platform uh, to speak to you guys and to share some thoughts. And uh, so if you're just swinging by for the first time, I'm really glad you're here. I hope that you stick around for the conversation and uh, stick around. And, you know, they say the only thing better than someone coming once is someone coming back. So uh, I hope that um, you like what you hear and uh, like the spirit of Image Bearers Radio and uh, you make this a, a regular, regular thing. I hope we get to have you listening again. And uh, for all of you guys that are so faithful, guys and gals that are so faithful, I just want to say thank you, as always, for the amazing community and for all the things that um, that you are doing with us, and it's just awesome. So I uh, appreciate you all very, very much. Uh, what's going on in the calendar? What's happening? Um, besides the world melting down around us, <laughs> he says with a laugh, uh, laugh to keep from crying. No, um, we'll talk about that kind of stuff in a little bit, but uh, Purim is coming up for those of you that celebrate Purim. And for those of you that don't, I would really encourage you at least to uh, to read about it and, and read the book of Esther, uh, Megillat Esther, if you would, and uh, just refresh yourself on what's going on uh, in uh, during Purim, uh, because it's uh, it's a book of incredible wisdom and a story of incredible wisdom. And uh, boy, do we not need some wise people right now? Do we not need some wisdom right about now? Uh, as you all know, at the moment of this recording, I think we're in day five or six with the the time difference, day six of the Ukrainian invasion. And for those of you who uh, do not follow the news or don't know what's going on. I don't know how you could not know what's going on, but uh, the Vladimir Putin has decided to invade Ukraine, and nobody really knows why. There's a lot of speculation. Uh, at any rate, uh, it is causing a worldwide uproar, even here in the States, when we really don't have a whole lot to do with it. Uh, and yet, everything is so intertwined, interconnected nowadays, uh, you know, it affects us all. So, uh, of course, we we pray for uh, all of the Ukrainian people, and uh, we pray for Vladimir Putin that 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 Hashem would redeem his heart, uh, and that he would uh, you know he would find some redemption somehow. But especially for the Ukrainian people, uh, for the Ukrainian believers, every man, woman, and child there that's suffering. Uh, we'll talk about this in a little bit in our episode today. Um, but uh, also, I want to remember I've been especially I don't know for some reason burdened for. Uh, the Russian soldiers, uh, you know, Putin and Russia is, is a propaganda machine, maybe only rivaled by, uh, well, you know, Iran, China and Germany of the, the World War One and Two era. And uh, you've got to think in all of those uh, soldiers, 
uh, that there's got to be a handful at least that go, you know what, guys, this is not right. Something about this is not right. And uh, so uh, I just, I don't know, for some reason I've been burdened for them lately. But we will discuss a little bit of this, but mostly uh, this last week's Parsha going into this week's Parsha uh, in this episode. So before we do that, as we always do as our custom, let's go to the Father in prayer. Avinu Malkino, you are our king. You are the king of creation, not just our king, but the king of all creation. And today we are humbled to be able to dive into your word. Father, I pray that you give us wisdom for the moment and wisdom for our world as we discuss your word today. So uh, we are going to kind of recap last week's Parsha. And if you joined us for Shabbat, uh, by the way, if I didn't say it in the beginning, which I realize now I didn't, (laughs) we we live stream our Shabbat services every single Shabbat or most of them, uh, the vast majority of them throughout the year. And uh, that's at 10 a.m. Central. So uh, join us if you don't have fellowship anywhere or if you have fellowship, then meet at a different time. It's always good to to you know, reach out and, and see what else is going on uh, around the country. And uh, so, yeah, join us. We'd love for you to have us, outofashesministries.org. Uh, we also simulcast to Facebook where we have a pretty active uh, comment section, chat, and then also to YouTube if you like to throw it up on your TV screen and watch while you're you know, hanging out, doing whatever. Uh, we'd be honored to have you join us uh, and spend a portion of your Shabbat with us. So uh, this last Shabbat, uh, we uh, talked about a couple things in last week's Parsha, uh, Vayachel, um, and uh, then I was reading today uh, this week's Parsha, which is Pekudei, and found a phrase that I thought was really, or a, a couple of verses that I thought were really interesting in light of kind of where we were last Shabbat at, at OAM and what we were talking about. So I want to discuss uh, a little bit of that today in light of kind of where we are and what's happening in our world and in our in history right now, uh, because I, I definitely think that history is going to remember uh, this particular time period for a lot of reasons. Uh, you know, all the way from Obama through Trump now to Biden and all the things that have happened in between. This has been quite uh, a quite a tumultuous uh, decade uh, or so, and a little over a decade already. Can you believe it? Uh, but I, I think that this is a, a time in American history that history will remember. Uh, whether it, how it, or whether it will remember it well or how it will remember it is up to the historians to write about. But we all have our opinions, and this is not necessarily a political uh, podcast, a political show. Uh, but uh, we we all know that it's been very tumultuous. And especially the last couple of years with the the pandemic and all this stuff. And so um, I, I want to talk a little bit about kind of riffing off of what we went off for uh, Shabbat. Uh, I want to talk to us. And I don't want to talk about anybody else. I want to talk to us about us. And that's generally what we do on this, this show. Um, because the whole premise of it is that I I am infatuated with, I'm obsessed by the idea of being uh, Tzalem Elohim, uh, Tzalem Elohim, the image of Hashem. 
uh, the image bearers of God. I'm just fascinated with that idea and that concept. And so that's what this show's all about, is how do we become better reflectors, better bearers of his image? And uh, how do we, you know, what does that look like? What does that mean? And how do we fulfill that calling and that responsibility? Because that is really the first identity that humanity was given. Uh, you know, that, that Hashem said, let us create uh, man, mankind, humanity in our image in, uh, in Bereshit 1. And I just find it absolutely uh, fascinating. And so what does it mean to look like Hashem? What does it mean to bear His image, to represent Him? And uh, in this section of Parshiot, we are we are neck deep in uh, in tabernacle stuff, right? Where uh, Terumah, we had the gathering of the the offerings for the tabernacle, and then uh, we have the construction and all the the details and the blueprints and the patterns and all those things. And last week is kind of a repeat of the week before, uh, going over these things like the ark and the uh, the basin, the kior, uh, the altar, all these things, and, and going over the you know the curtains and the rods and the and it's easy to get lost in all the details and and uh, and I understand that and so that's why I always encourage folks to reach out to people like Joseph Good, uh, like Rico Cortez. Um, for any of our Spanish-speaking friends, Rico uh, Edgar Ramos is another great name to check out. Uh, but guys that are doing really incredible work and study in the temple. Of course, Joe has a legacy of his own. Uh, Joseph Good, he and his wife Debbie uh, are incredible people that you should be tuned into. Um, but they really, their studies really help to make sense of uh, all of these different moving pieces of the tabernacle and then later the temple and also help to give it to us in a way that's applicable in the way that we can understand it and draw wisdom from it so that we can uh, apply this beautiful knowledge for our lives today. Uh, I'm not that much. I'm not that deep. So <laughs> I, um, I got to kind of, you know, I got to kind of eat their crumbs, eat their scraps, which I'm happy to do. Uh, but I do want to draw out two particular verses in last week's Parsha, Vayechel, and then I want to wrap up with a portion from uh, Pekude. So in last week's Parsha, uh, at the very beginning, of course, the Parsha was, is called Vayechel, uh, which means he assembled. And uh, this is the first verse of chapter 35 of Shemot of Exodus. And it says, Moshe assembled the entire assembly of the children of Israel and said to them, these are the things that Hashem commanded to do them. On six days, work must be done, but the seventh day shall be holy for you, a day of complete rest for Hashem. Whoever does work shall be put to death. And then it talks about verse three, not kindling a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. Just an interesting little um, little side note to, it's, it's, all, it's almost kind of odd. So Moshe assembles everybody, right? They're talking, we know we're dealing with tabernacle stuff. And he assembles everybody and he says, these are the things that Hashem has commanded. And then he goes into Shabbat, which is really odd. We're like, okay, obviously we know, you know, of course Shabbat. But how is Shabbat linked to the tabernacle and the building of the tabernacle? Well, that's something we're going to come back to in just a second. But then you have this verse 3 about not kindling a fire. And, and what is that about? Then you say, well, you know, the kind of the common explanation would be, well, you had to kindle a fire in order to work on the tabernacle, because that's kind of the context of this. It's not, it's not generally general work. It is general work, but in this context, we're dealing with the tabernacle, working on the tabernacle. You work for six days on the tabernacle, on sacred space, 
on the place where Hashem will dwell. You build God's house, God's dwelling place for six days, and on the seventh day you rest. And and, and actually that Shabbat, uh, you know, we say rest, and that's commonly what it is. Um, but more technically, to Shabbat means to cease. You're going to stop. And so when it says a day of complete rest or complete Shabbat, um, the idea is, you know, I, you may be like this, maybe not, but I don't rest well generally. Um, you know, I may be physically tired, but my mind doesn't rest. I, I hardly ever rest. I don't sleep much uh, just because my mind never stops. And, and I know that a lot of you out there are the same way. Um, you know, lay in bed for a couple of hours and just think about every possible permutation of every, you know, thing that could possibly happen, just goofy stuff. And um, so it's hard for me. I've really struggled during Shabbat with complete finding complete rest. That's not something that I do um, or not do very easily. It's like pulling teeth to find complete rest. And I don't know that I ever really do. But the idea is to cease complete ceasing. And that doesn't mean that we, you know, sit in a dark corner and just, you know, stare into the dark corner for all, you know, all of Shabbat. But this idea of ceasing from the work uh, and what work in particular where it's all common work. But in this context, like I said, it's particularly building of sacred space. We're dealing with the tabernacle, but more generally sacred space. And that's going to mean something in a little while. And then verse three pops up and it's like out of kind of out of left field about kindling a fire and. I read a lot of commentary on this, and uh, the Jewish take on this is really fascinating and really interesting. We have this commandment other places before this. So to the sages, this commandment is not just a reiteration of the other times where we are instructed, the previous times where we were instructed not to kindle a fire on Shabbat. This actually means something different. It Because it's being repetitive, for them, it can't really mean the same thing. There has to be something else that they're getting at. And uh, what's really interesting is that uh, the kind of the general consensus that you'll find in Jewish commentary is that this is a commandment not to carry out a death penalty on Shabbat. You go, like, what the heck does that have to do with kindling a fire? Well, I'm glad you asked <laughs> because uh, there are four ways to carry out capital punishment, uh, the death sentence. Uh, for someone who's been tried and convicted, um, the, you know, the rigorous trial process and witnesses and all, you know, again, none of this stuff is like vigilante violent, you know, vigilante justice. This is all very uh, meticulously done, and they always err on the side of saving a life. And, uh, you know, I've heard this. I don't know that I've ever read it, but I've heard that, you know, they can't really point to any um, any. A case where the person was actually put to death, you know, where they actually put someone to death. I know we have like the the pinga stuff and different things, but anyway, um, one of the four ways to carry out the death penalty is by pouring molten lead down a person's throat. And in order to get molten lead, you have to have a fire. And so that's where this explanation comes from. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. But I just thought it was really nerdy and really interesting. And uh, so there you go. Uh, there's something you can uh, share with uh, with your friends and family next time you don't have anything, That next time you're tired of talking about the weather. Uh, so what does the Shabbat, what does the Shabbat have to do with the tabernacle? And why, why place this commandment here first uh, when we're going to talk about, you know, we're going to talk about the construction of the tabernacle and the contributions and all that kind of, why put Shabbat first? Well, the reason why I talk about it in the terms of sacred space is exactly that reason. See, whenever – the way we look at Genesis 1 
uh, one and two and three, actually one, two and three, um, have a, a huge impact on how we see the rest of Scripture. Uh, I believe that how we see the opening chapters of the story really define how we're going to see the rest of Scripture, not only the rest of the Bible, but then how we create a reality based off of that through our doctrines and our theology and our practice, et cetera, et cetera. So for me, uh, Genesis 1 through 3 is all a temple text. So it's not so much about God physically creating the world in six days. And if you've listened to, to IBR or if you've joined us for Shabbat, you know this. But it's, it, Genesis 1 is not a scientific you know, report of how God physically created things. This is about God ordering the cosmos for his dwelling, for his sacred space. And we, we know that because there are other writings before and around the same time of the writing of Genesis that tell the exact same story in their own way. Um, Enuma Elish went up on high. That's one I can think about. The Epic of Gilgamesh is another. There's several, you know, Akkadian, Sumerian writings that that all use the same type of language, talking about creation and cosmic battles and things. And it's really all. It's not about the the chemistry and the physics of creation. It's about the, about the God making a home, putting his enemies and chaos under his feet and making a home of peace and shalom. And so it's no wonder then when you get to day seven, it says Hashem ceased, right? He, he Shabbated. Uh, Shabbated, that's just terrible. That's terrible English or uh, Hebrew or what? That's just terrible all the way around. But he, you know, he declared the Shabbat on day seven, the ceasing uh, from that work. Now, how does that connect to the tabernacle? Well, the tabernacle and sacred space, the temple, uh, all of these these things that we talk about are all synonymous. They are all an effort to recreate Eden, to recreate that place where Adam and Chava lived in in Eden, that place in Eden, that sacred cosmic mountain. Uh, we've talked about you know ad nauseum about Eden being a mountain. Uh, or that's the picture we should get. And and Adam and Hava are on the top of the mountain. That's that's where the ancients would go to worship their gods, where they felt like heaven and earth met. Um, and we you know we've done this again. We've seen it with Avraham. We've seen it all the way through Scripture. Uh, it's it's interesting to me, you know, that any time that that the the, the Israelites are worshiping, uh, especially idolatrous worship, they're always on bemot, high places, right? Hashem is constantly telling the kings, tear down the high places, the bemot. What is that? Well, that's on top of hills where they, they you know, usually under a tree or around a tree and, and, uh, and a share a tree where they made an altar and they worshiped because that's the understanding in the ancient world. And so Genesis 1 is this, you know, this idea of, of Eden and, and being a, a, a mountain type of typography. And so our topography, not typography. Uh, so so in, in the beginning of Bereshit, Hashem is creating sacred space. And then the tabernacle is, an, is, is his way of, of teaching the Israelites how to recreate that space again. And we see this through the elements of the tabernacle. Um, you have the kior, the laver, which when Solomon builds it, builds the first temple, it's actually called Hayam, the sea. Um, the the basin it's massive. We read about this in last week's Haftarah or two weeks ago the Haftarah. Um, it's massive. It's like twenty feet wide, five feet deep. It's huge, and it's called the sea. And it's supposed to harken back to the the waters of chaos of creation. And then you have the the curtains or the um, the uh, parochet 
that are in the ta- in the temple in the tabernacle and if you don't you need to spend twenty five dollars and download the second temple app on your iPhone or Android uh, Joe Good Rico Cortez and some really brilliant designers have designed this project that's absolutely phenomenal it takes you on a virtual you can you can walk through the second temple and it's absolutely stunning. Uh, but you see on on in that app and his illustrations go to the Temple Institute website, various places. You can see that the outside parochet right behind the altar is is this picture of creation, constellations. Some of them have angels, you know, embroidered into them. It's a picture of of creation, that desire to get back, the desire to to right all the wrongs, and that's what the tabernacle is all about—to find balance and to find uh, redemption. Uh, and to find to to find new creation, so the Shabbat is is really all all of that, and it's it's deeper than we have time to go through right now in this episode. Um, but most of the things that I talk about, the things that I am passionate about, have to do with this. So if you follow our ministry or if you follow these these episodes, you, hopefully you understand the language and uh, and it, it makes sense. It makes sense to you. So what I want to focus on today is we the context of where we are. We're building the Mishkan, building the tabernacle, building sacred space, building Eden, building the place where Hashem wants to live, right? He said, build me a tabernacle that I, that Veshikanti, that I may dwell among you. Uh, Shikanti, Shkina, right? We've talked about all that. And so they're building the place where Hashem is going to live, as, as general as I can put it. So you have tabernacle, temple, Sacred space, Garden of Eden, um, you know, dwelling place, the place where God lives. All these names are synonymous, uh, and, and and those are. It's important to think about them in different levels and different ways, uh, different layers, because uh, we don't have temples and tabernacles today. So how do we relate to this, right? When we think about sacred space, we think about new creation. New creation is something we should understand as, as Christians. Uh, it's something we should understand and be able to relate to, and it's something that should land for us. So Moshe assembles, Vayechel, he assembled all the people, and he gives them all the instructions again for creating this sacred space, right? For creating the place where Hashem is going to dwell, now, we all want God to dwell with us, right? And we all say, well, God lives in my heart. You know, God live, God is among us. Uh, I remember being in, you know, Pentecostal and Spirit-filled services where, uh, you know, after worship, after the service and the, you know, the preaching and stuff and the altar call, you'd have people say like, God, oh, could you see the cloud, you know, in the rafters, you know, that kind of thing. We, we are obsessed with that, the idea of God being with us. And about God dwelling with us. So we understand this idea of sacred space, and we understand the idea of tabernacle and temple, even though we don't generally worship in them, and it's not like it was for the ancients. Um, so we, Moshe gives all these, uh, these, uh, you know, these general details and the summary again. And then we come on verse 20, and it says, The entire assembly of the children of Israel left Moshe's presence. And then verse 21 says that every man whose heart inspired him came and everyone whose spirit motivated him brought the portion of Hashem for the work of the tent of meeting for all its labor and for the sacred vestments. That's the Terumah that we read about a few weeks ago. And so I, I've, I'm really burdened and I, I always have been even when uh, even as a young person in church, junior high, high school, whatever. 
I've always had a certain burden that I've never been able to really put my finger on and really vocalize and you know and define necessarily. But it is that this burden is for coming together, right? So Moshe assembles all the children of Israel and gives them instructions. Let's just, this is not what it is, but let's just say in our kind of common dialect, they had church. Okay, let's just let's just say that that's not what it is. But in our terms, they assembled, they came together, and they got instruction. And they get to the instruction, and then they leave. And my burden is, what happens when we leave our gatherings? What happens when we leave the instruction? What kind of work and what kind of business are we about when we leave? So the second episode, we're going to talk a little bit about what happens on the six days, and then we're going to get into Peku Day. Don't go away. We'll be right back. All right, everybody, welcome back to the second segment in this episode of Image Bearers Radio. Thank you guys for sticking around. Um, so we are talking about Moshe assembling the people. He gives them instructions. They leave. And then the scripture tells us in verse 21 that, you know, every man whose heart moved him and was inspired, he brought uh, Terumah for the Ohel Moed, the tent of meeting, and for the vestments and uh, and the clothing of the, the priest. And... I've always had this. I've always had this burden, and, and as a even as a young child of thinking, like you know, we as a, as the church, as Christians, as Hebrew, you know, people, as Israelite, whatever, as religious people, we gather a lot, right? Uh, especially maybe maybe even more so in the in the Messianic movement, in the Torah movement, um, we gather a lot, uh, and and sometimes for long periods of time, right? Um, depending on what tradition you grew up in, church might have been like 45 minutes and, you know, it was like, you know, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. You were done. Sing a couple songs, get a couple of announcements, take an offering, uh, three points in a poem for a sermon, a uh, quick altar call. Nobody wants to get saved. Nobody wants to move their letter of uh, membership or get baptized. You're out. You're out for lunch, right? And uh, some other traditions may have gone longer, you know, different things, but here in the Torah movement, we tend to we tend to really really gather, uh, and you know some sometimes even here at our services we tend to not be all day long, but sometimes after Oneg we hang out for two or three hours. Uh, you know some weeks uh, our service is at ten a.m. We usually do Oneg around noon, uh, Kiddush and Oneg around noon, and sometimes I don't get home till four or five o'clock, and we just hang out and visit. You know we just visit, and uh, and we talk about scripture and you know things, and, and that's great. Um, but we, we meet a lot and then we have all the Moedim and, you know, and we have the other festivals, you know, we have Hanukkah, we have Purim, we have all these, all these different things. Many of you meet for Rosh Chodesh and all this different kind of stuff. We meet a lot. We assemble a lot and we get a lot of instruction. You know, there's a, I'll call it a plague, uh, because really if I'm not being political, that's really what I think it is. We have this plague um, that we just, we just absolutely are addicted to knowledge. 
Now, knowledge is a, is a wonderful thing. I mean, listen, I'm a teacher. Okay, I, I love learning stuff, and I love sharing what I learn. Uh, and knowledge is is vital, and it is you know it, it is absolutely important. So I don't want anybody to think I'm not you know I'm knocking on seeking knowledge. I'm not. We should seek knowledge. We should study, and we should uh, we should spend more time studying than we probably do. Uh, and that goes for all of us, self included. But we have this this thing about us that it's like an endorphin rush, I guess. Whenever we learn something new. And it seems to be like the weirder, the better are the, you know, the more odd, the better. Uh, and we just get all like, oh, my gosh, I, uh, we get all worked up about something new that we learned. And, you know, we we watch a YouTube video and some guy's spouting off about something, you know, and, and we just like, oh, we're amazed. And and it's it. I get it. And I enjoy learning, too. Um, but it's almost the thing where, like, we don't it's like we don't have enough. We don't know enough already to accomplish the task that Hashem has given us. And guys, we do. If we, if you and I sat together, or if you and I sat in our respective fellowships for the next six weeks and did not learn one new thing, we still would know enough, far and away, we would have enough knowledge to be able to accomplish all the things that Hashem wants us to accomplish. Do you, you ever think about that? Well, it, because we have this sense of like, well, but if I if I just knew the key to this or the mystery to that or the meaning to this or the secret hidden whatever and the revelation and the blah, blah, blah and all that. And again, I'm not knocking that. I'm not saying don't seek those things. What I'm saying is that it's like it's become like a drug to some of us. And we get so caught up with wanting to get our brains tickled by new information that I wonder what we do when when. Everybody leaves assembly. The people left the assembly of, of Moshe. And every person that's hard, they started to give and they started to work on the tabernacle. You know, there's a funny thing about Shabbat that we don't talk about a lot. We focus on the, the day of rest, the Shabbat, rightly so. But what we don't talk a lot about is that included in that commandment, you know, we're super good at stuff like this. We're super good at breaking verses apart and only focusing on one part of the verse and not another. We are masters at that. We're experts at that. Uh, one of my favorites is Joel 2, uh, where God says, I'll send, you know, I'll send the canker worm and the locust and the, you know, uh, you know, to destroy. And then, and we go like, oh, that's Satan. That's Satan that, you know, God's going to give me back all the things that the devil took. We used to sing a song, uh, went to the enemy's camp and took back what he stole from me. And that, it was based off of Joel 2. And we don't read the rest of the verse where God says, my great army, like the devil's not stealing stuff from you. It's God sending stuff to try to keep you in line and try to help you draw you towards Shuva. That's what that's what the locust and the stuff is all about. It's all about the loving father sending correction. The devil ain't after your stuff. He don't want your stuff. It's about the Father's loving hands trying to gently, gently correct you and, and, and us and refine us into his image. So we, we, you know, we're masters at taking half a verse. We do this with Shabbat too. Oh, Shabbat, the day of rest, seventh day. But we never talk about the other six days because without the other six days, you don't have a Shabbat. Six days of work. How many of us work for six days? Now, you know, your job may not work for six days, whatever. I, that's, that's neither here nor there based on what I want to talk about today and what this conversation is about. Everybody, after they left Moshe's assembly, everybody went to work. 
went to work doing what? They went to work building sacred space, building the place where Hashem would live, building the place where God would live. Now, well, God lives in all the in all creation, right? Yeah, yeah, but there was something special and something different about the tabernacle and about the temple. It was a, it was a, it was the Shekinah. It was the 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 presence, right? The dwelling presence. God is present in everything in all of creation. But there's something different about Shekinah, and so they went to work building. Now, did everybody have a hand in the actual? building of the actual parts of the tabernacle? Obviously not. But you know what? Some guys had farms they had to go take care of because the people needed food while they worked on the tabernacle. Some people didn't maybe sew the curtains, but they grew the lambs or the, you know, the goats or the rams, whatever that, that were used for that. Um, there's just all these tentacles that come out of building sacred space. It's not just about you know, well, who builds, so who builds sacred space for us? And, and how do we build sacred space here today? Because that's really the point. My, my burden is, is, is not for what, you know, what you're doing during the week as far as your work. Uh, we all have different jobs, you know, and that's fine. Um, and that's the way it should be. That's the way Hashem has planned it to be, or that's the, what you chose to do. Great. But, are our jobs what we're working at? Are, are our jobs the vehicle that Hashem has given us so that we can build a place where God wants to live in this world? And you may have heard sermons and lessons about this and all before, and I, I'm just giving you my take, and I'm just kind of pouring out my heart because this really is my burden. What what about, I, I talked about Saturday. We have several teachers in our congregation. My father-in-law is a teacher, an educator, and I, I, you teachers, I, I don't know that there is enough money in all of creation to motivate me to want to be an educator. You guys and ladies have the most incredible opportunity to build sacred space and to build a place, the people, the kids, the lives where God wants to dwell. That, you know, if you ask me what's, Who's more important, not, not like this is a fair question, but who's more important in actually building the kingdom? You know, Yeshua said, the kingdom is in you. It's in you. So it's just got to come out of you. Who is more important in bringing the kingdom? Is it a teacher or a preacher? Is it a teach, an educator or a pastor? I would be very much inclined to say an educator, one that has a heart for God, that, that knows the word, and that loves children. Uh, I would say... Uh, I would absolutely sit down in your presence or stand in your presence, whichever one honors you more, for that place, being a pastor myself, because I think it's that important. These six days that we have between every Shabbat when we gather together, what are we doing when we leave the assembly? Are we, are we, are we fulfilling our church duties? Because, you know, some have said that a lot of what we do is just Christianity with a kippah on. In other words, we still have the same old Christian attitudes. We still like, well, I went to church this week. That's checked off my list. Now I can go about and do my own business. Is that the attitude we have? Like, well, I Shabbated for five hours today. That must be good enough. I hope that's good enough. Now I can go fishing. I can go do whatever, you know, and go mow my yard. I can go, uh, you know, worry about what the week has for me and how I can, you know, close a new deal or whatever. 
are worried about, you know, well, you know, wonder what kind of projects we have coming up. Is, is, is your, is your work, your career, what you're working on those six days? See, six days of work we don't do, but you know what we can do six days? We can bring kingdom six days. We can build sacred space for six days. If you're not, if we're not building sacred space for six days, we don't need a Shabbat because we haven't done anything. Every man turned and went from that assembly, and those whose heart moved in, which I would imagine was just about everybody, the vast majority, they got to work donating, contributing sacred space. Now, this does not say, oh, you got to work to give to your church or to your synagogue or to your fellowship. That's not what this is about. What are we doing in the lives of the people around us that God has entrusted us with in our circle of influence to create a place where God wants to live. Are we living in justice? Are we living, acting righteously? Are we walking in love or in forgiveness? Is our life a, 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 a sermon? Is it an illustration? Are we bearing the image of Hashem? Because the tabernacle, sacred space, one of its main jobs is to, is to project the greatness of Hashem. And we say stuff like, well, you know, we're the temple, blah, blah, blah. And we have no idea. I mean, I mean my, you know, my argument is still that we really have no idea what that means. We like to say it, and I like we like to believe it, but we don't know what it means. It's to project and to promote the reputation of Hashem, the authority, the character of our great God. And so are we doing that for six days? What are we doing between the assemblies? Are we creating sacred space? So I, I want to go over to, to Pekude because there's a, another interesting thing that I found that, that kind of goes along with this. And, and, and Moshe shows back up and, you know, they're getting to work. They're doing the they're doing the thing. You know, they're building the tabernacle. They're, um, you know, they're getting all the materials together and, and all these different kinds of things. And then it says something really, really interesting here in verse 33 of Exodus 39. So we're in Shemot 39. And in verse 33, uh, well, let's go to verse uh, 32. It says, all the work of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, was completed, and B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, had done everything that Hashem commanded Moshe, so did they do. So let's just stop there for a second. In this thirst and hunger and obsession for knowledge, just a, a matter of, of self-analysis, and if you don't if you don't do, if you don't audit yourself on a daily basis, it's a, I'll call it a spiritual discipline. It's a discipline that I would really encourage you to start. I know some of us are overthinkers, and I'm, I are he. Uh, I, I am one of the, I, you know, I'm one of the many people I know in our congregation and people that I know just in everyday life that uh, we just overthink stuff. We're analytical to a fault. So I, I'm, I, I go the other way, and I almost, um, I almost paralyze myself because I overthink everything, and some of you out there can relate. But then there's some, I know, because I have good friends and I have family members that, like, they never think twice about the way they speak to people or the thoughts that they think or the way they handle their kids or their family or their spouse or, you know, it's just like, well, nothing's my fault. Whatever happens just happens. I'm good. You know, I'm good, and I just roll along and, and never give – and and. And I'll just be honest with you, most of the time, I wish I was more like that. <laughs> I wish I could get out of this head and just go like, well, whatever, you know, but I'm not. I'm an analyzer. But I think there's a balance there where those of us that are overanalytical need to back off, you know, pump the brakes and take a deep breath and trust that Hashem's got this. 
And then those that are that you know are less analytical need to need to at least make it a daily habit of going like, well, how did today go? How did I interact with this coworker? How did I, you know, how did I interact with my kids when I came home and I was tired and I didn't, you know, didn't have the energy? How did I give enough time to my spouse? Did I, you know, and and we need to just think about how we're doing. It says that that you know they did everything that Moshe Moshe commanded them that Hashem commanded Moshe. In this thirst for knowledge, do some self-analysis. Do some self-audit. The things that you learn, are you doing anything about them? Or is it just another wrinkle in the brain? I think we would be much better off as, as a kingdom, as the kingdom, if maybe we took some time off from learning and just turned off the learning tap and just opened full throttle the doing tap. Because like I said before, I think we're bloated. We're bloated with knowledge. We're, we're bloated with information. And what, what, what we're not doing is we're not, we're not burning off all that information in action, right? We're, we're, we're not, we should be doing so much for our communities, for our, our, you know, the people in our world that the information comes as water in a, you know, in a, in a dry desert that we, we, we need it to keep going. There's a difference in needing inspiration and information and knowledge and learning. There's a difference in needing that because you've exhausted your previous information and you don't know what else to do. And you, you, you've worked and you need, a, you need that filling, that refilling. There's a difference in that and sitting on your spiritual haunches for six days and going, I can't wait to go to Shabbat, see what we learn. Well, who cares what you learn? You're not going to do anything about it. Don't. What's the point? You're just wait. We're wasting. We're wasting each other's time. We're breathing good oxygen that somebody else that is doing something could be breathing. So it says that they did everything. Now, am I advocating being perfect and being like like this hyper legalist and all? That? No. But you know what? Some of us, our our relationship between us and Hashem, the things that God is asking us to do, and our relationship up to Him, we're not doing what God has asked us to do. Some of us need to be more observant for Shabbat. Some of us need to be more observant and more uh, particular and more uh, purposeful about the Moedim, about the feast days. Uh, some of us need to work on our justice. Some of us need to work on righteousness. Some of us need to work on holiness. I mean, you know, the list goes on and on and on and on. Uh, some of you are part of great ministries and great fellowships, and you're not giving at all. You're not supporting that fellowship so that the fellowship can do other things. Uh, there, there's all kinds of stuff that God has asked you personally to do. That's your worship to him. And then there's the other things, the, the stuff between each other. And so, you know, there's there's a lot that we need to be working on. Are we going to be perfect? Are we going to nail it all? Absolutely not. And that's not at all what Hashem is asking. But man, are we trying? Is that the goal that we're pressing for and that we're exhausting ourselves trying to get to? to bear his image and to spread his kingdom light. And then the next verse says, this would be verse uh, 33. It says, they brought the tabernacle to Moshe, the tent and all its utensils, its hooks, its planks, its bars, its pillars, its sockets, the cover of red dyed ram skins and the cover of Tahash skins and the partition cover, a uh, curtain rather, 
the ark of testimony and its staves and the cover and the table and its utensils and showbread and menorah and lamps, the lamps of the order and all its utensils and the oil of the illumination, the gold altar, and it just goes on and all these things that they brought, right? In verse 43, it says, like everything that Hashem commanded Moshe, so did the children of Israel perform all the labor. And Moshe saw the entire work and behold, they had done it as Hashem had commanded. So had they done. And Moshe blessed them. It, the little subheading in, in I, this is from the uh, art scroll, uh, the stone edition Tanakh. The subheading says for verse 33, Moses inspects the tabernacle. And then at the end there in verse 42, it says Moses, Moshe approves. And I'd just like to ask us, first of all, do you have anyone in your life that is examining your work? I don't mean how many insurance policies you sold or, or you know, how many tests you graded or how long and how deep the ditch was that you dug. I mean the six days of building the tabernacle, the days of building the place where God lives, where God is, wants to live, where God wants to reside. Do you have anybody in your life that's examining your work? If, if we uh, wait, 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 before you get your feelings hurt. And I know, listen, just if anybody, if anybody deals with baggage for being hurt from people that were, that abused power over you, pastors, bishops, elders, deacons, prayer leaders, Sunday school teachers, small group leaders, et cetera, et cetera, youth pastors, choir directors. I mean, go, the list goes on and on. If there's anybody who has had that experience, let me, let me just let you know, most of you don't know my story, but I understand the last, the last thing I would rather have my fingernails ripped off with a pair of pliers while I'm stone cold awake than have a man telling me where I'm not doing good enough. You want to talk about baggage? You're listening to somebody that has that has baggage. I've got I've got nice Louis Vuitton baggage and I've got I've got suitcases full of baggage. Because of ways I've been hurt and ways I've been mistreated and, and you know, mistrust and all, all those different things. I get it. I, one, of the, one of the other things that we really wrestle with in this movement is distrust because we have been hurt. We have been lied to. You have been steered in the wrong direction. You have. You have been taken advantage of. You have been mistreated and disrespected, been disrespected. And you, all those things are valid and legitimate. But we got to heal, folks. We've got to heal. We've got to do some really hard work, and we've got to heal, and we've got to we've got to start to trust again. I know. I listen. I know how hard it is, and I know how justifiable it is that you just become an island to yourself. Even if listen, you can be an active, vibrant part. You can be the leader of a congregation and still be closed off. I and I understand, and it is justifiable. I get it. But is there anybody in your life that is examining the work that you're doing in building the tabernacle, in building the place where Shekinah wants to dwell? And if there is, first of all, if there isn't, please, for the sake of the kingdom of Hashem and the sake of, of 
of creation and the world that we live in, would you, would you please, could we please start a journey of healing and, and of trust and, uh, and of, of investment in other people again? Because that doesn't change. All the stuff that we left in the church when we left, a lot of that stuff needed to be left. What didn't need to leave was relationship and fellowship and love and trust and accountability. Yeah, that big A word. Man, that's like a curse word to a lot of us. But that didn't need to stay. That needed to come over. And it hasn't for a lot of us. If you don't have somebody, listen, do the healing. It's hard. It is hard. And that just when you think you've been healed, you're going to find another place that's really super tender. And you got to find out, like, i got to go through that healing process too. But we need people to check our work. We need to be able to present our work. And, and yes, li- listen, and if you're listening to this saying, yeah, but I present my work to Hashem, to Yeshua. That, great. That's great. Uh, but if we love the Torah like we say we do and want to follow it like we say we do, they presented it to the person that was leading them. Ooh, I know that burns. That hurts. And and he was able to approve. Is there anybody in your life that's checking your work? And if if they are, could they approve? Not to say you're going to please a man, but good shepherds, they know what's up. I want to encourage you. I love you. Thank you for being a great community. Have a fantastic rest of the week. And until next week, shalom, shalom. Shalom.